Hello, and welcome listeners to the Advanced Metallic Systems Centre for Doctoral Training podcast. I'm your host, Simon Hawkins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Vincent Kahn. The AMS-CDT is a joint venture between the University of Manchester, University of Sheffield, Dublin City University, and University College Dublin, focusing on producing highly trained metallurgists to meet the demands of industry. This podcast is part of the CDT's outreach projects, more of which can be found at www.metallicscdt.co.uk slash outreach. The CDT is funded by the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council and Science Foundation Ireland. This podcast will be exploring the paths students take into academia and answering questions from undergraduate students about life as a PhD student. Today, we're joined by our guest and fellow PhD student, Mike White. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Mike, uh, would you like to in, uh, give yourself an introduction of uh, what position you have within your university? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm a second year student on the Advanced Metallic Systems CDT, uh, and I'm based at the University of Manchester. Okay, and uh, what are your undergrad qualifications? Uh, so, I did a, a BSc in maths uh, at Manchester as well, um, and then following that, I did a, a master's in applied maths again at the University of Manchester. Lovely. So, been Manchester your whole life? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, if it ain't broke. <laughs> so, what? Why did you decide to take a PhD? Um, like, did you take a PhD right after you graduate, or did you take a year out or something? Um, so, I, I took a PhD straight after my masters, um, but I'd taken a year out in between doing my undergrad and my masters. Um, I just just went away, just went travelling really, and um, it was great. And I I, I think um, it it was definitely beneficial for me. Like I came back ready to start the masters really, and what actually wanting to do it, um, and really applied myself. So I think personally, it was a good good decision. Okay, and uh, what made you decide to to take a PhD? Um, well, I was on and on about it for. A while really, I was still undecided until the summer before I started the PhD. Um, but I was talking to my supervisor that I was doing my dissertation with for the masters, um, and and he just, just suggested this project. He said, "Look, it's quite in line with what you're doing. I think it'll be suitable if you're interested." And then he just put me in in contact with the right people, and it just sort of all fell into place quite nicely from there. So you mentioned you're a math student, and your supervisor said. Um that your what you were doing was in line with a metallics uh, program. Can you elaborate on that? Like how so? So metallics is an interesting field, really, because it encompasses a lot of different aspects of science, right from chemistry to physics, and then maths is just the language that underlies it all, I suppose. Um, and this project specifically is very computational. Um, so I think. I think just due to that, it tied in quite nicely with the master stuff that I was doing. Um, but in terms of the application being specific to materials, that was all quite new to me. Um, but it, but it's a cool application, and I think I don't know. I think applying these methods to to any application can be interesting, and just getting getting to the topic that you're probably interested in um, makes it all sort of worthwhile and enjoyable. Okay, cool. So you mentioned that your Master's advisor put you in contact with the right people, if you will. So did you get to know your current supervisor at all during this period, I, I suppose? Um, I, I met him, and um, he, he was part of the panel who interviewed me. 
Um, but I, th- I think actually at the interview that was the first time that I, I met him face to face. We'd corresponded um, over email, and I think we'd actually spoke on the phone as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't really know him prior to applying for the for the course. And how would you say you find working with them? It's great. Like, yeah, I think supervisors can be what 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 you what you make of them really. And I think if you, if you want a lot of interaction with your supervisor, you can have it and it's there. But also if you want to be able to step back and do the research yourself and take it in your own direction, there's a lot of scope for that too. And I think as long as you communicate with your supervisor and you, you let them know what you're thinking and give valid reasons for why you want to take certain approaches, I think that they're happy for you to just um, to get on with it. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, but then at the same time, like when, when things are starting to slow down and you're, you're thinking, like, where should I go next? They're, they're always there to support you and um, yeah I found I've got a good relationship with my supervisor so would you say that you're give for the most part you're given the freedom to sort of do what you want for your PhD project but you still have someone that you can contact to say you know I'm, I'm stuck and I need a bit of help or um, things are sort of slowing down in this direction will I need to change you so I, I think you are given freedom to an extent, but it has to be within reason. So as long as you can sort of validate that it's towards the general aim of the project, which may be quite specific. Like I think my, my project is, is quite broad and it allows for quite a lot of freedom. Um, but I mean, obviously, if you're doing something quite experimental and specific, then you might be less less free to do whichever you want. But even still within that, like I think as long as you can come up with your own approaches and sort of validate why you're doing it, then... You should be fine. So you're doing a computer modeling uh, PhD, if I've understood correctly. So, you see, for at least for someone like me who does quite a lot of you know experimental work, where a lot of my time just gets bogged down in having to to wait, wait, wait for wait for my results. So a lot of the support I get generally comes in, you know, someone helping me look over the results I have and saying, is it worth carrying on with the experiments, or should I you know, shift gears and try something different? How do you say you're supported? I'd say in very much the same way. The only difference is the experiments that you're doing aren't physical. They're just simulations instead. But either way, you're, you're using some sort of data that's either generated synthetically or it's collected manually. And then you're analysing those results and thinking, like, what methods can we use to get the most out of these results? I think in any aspect of science, that applies. Yeah, and also um, you, you'll need to validate your results um, anyway with experiments. Yeah, sort of the simulations of the preliminary stage to see sort of, like, which experiments, like, physical experiments are, are worthwhile pursuing because that, that's a much more time-consuming process actually doing the experiments physically. Um, so I, if, yeah, if you can do the simulations to validate which experiments to perform that can help speed things up I suppose and I think, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong but I think some people who've been on the experimental side have found a shift towards that recently, particularly because of what's happened uh, with COVID um, there's like much more of a shift towards computation um, over over lab work but, but people are starting to get back into the labs now which is good and how how would you say you found working with your current PhD supervisors compared to your uh, supervisor during your masters? You know how how is it different? Not massively, really. 
I'd say I spend more time with my supervisor now than I have done in the past. Um, like when I was doing my dissertation, I think I was meeting once a month with my supervisor and he was very hands-off and um, again, just sort of left to do the research myself until I, I, I wanted the help and sort it. Um, but 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 the relationship underlying is the same. Like you, yeah, it's still the same communications and support structure. Gotcha. And before we ask you a bit more about your um, you know, your life as a postgraduate researcher, it's a common I- common idea for people like outside of academia that there's. Your endless work as PhD students, and you might not get time for for a, for a social life. So, um, my question, my question is just, how's your social, how's your social life? Um, getting back on track now that the beer gardens are opened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I found that that was a big bugbear for me, and like, I, I was well aware that like PhD students can become isolated. Um. I feel fortunate that this isn't really a traditional PhD with it being part of the CDT. So you get thrown into a cohort. I think there's 19 students in our cohort and everyone's doing like very different projects, um, but all within metallurgy. Um, and that, that created like a really strong support network right from the start. They just threw us all together like, and it, it was great because it just, it, it worked so well. And I think if it, on, a, on a more traditional PhD, you don't necessarily get that. I mean, you can, you still, you can still create the support network, and like, you, 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 you can, you can do it, but it's, it's more difficult, I would say. Um, but I don't know. I think, yeah, a lot of PhD students are, are very social and, and want to be social, and I think once the pandemic's lifted and we can start going into the office again and start interacting more, and yeah, I think it'll be great. I'm sort of missing it at the moment. Absolutely. Indeed. So then, you mentioned earlier that you're doing a, a, a computer modeling project. My game was a bit bit more of a in depth breakdown of what you're doing, essentially. Yeah. So I'm looking um, at titanium alloys, um, and we're trying to develop what we're calling a fingerprint. Um, it's basically we take the images which are acquired under a microscope. Um, and we're using algorithms to represent the image as a vector rather than an image. Um, and there's various different transforms you can apply and different methods you can do to get to this vector. But ultimately, you end up with a vector that describes the microstructure. Um, and hopefully, we'll be able to use those vectors to make quantitative comparisons between images. Um, and then that'll be ultimately used for quality control. So the idea is. Um, say you're making fan blades for jet engines and you're using titanium 6.4 you might buy the sheet of titanium 6.4 already manufactured and um, when you get that in you need to do some checks to make sure that it's consistent with the previous batches that you've been buying um, so so this technology you could fingerprint you could have a, a master fingerprint which is your like ideal scenario which stays on file and then each time you get a new batch of material you image them then take the fingerprints for those images and then make comparisons between that and the master fingerprint. And if they're significantly different, you know that something has gone amiss with this new batch. And then the question then is like, how can you actually quantify that difference? Like what, how, how meaningful is that? And, and then there's other applications as well. So going further down the line, it'll be 
maybe you can start to predict mechanical properties of the material just from looking at the the, the, the micrograph. Um, and then maybe you can go the other way. Maybe you can specify some mechanical properties that you'd like to aim for. Say you want it to be however strong or however tough. Um, and then you can work backwards and sort of engineer a processing route which would give you a desired microstructure, which then would have these mechanical properties that you want. Um, so if you, if you can get to that stage, then that massively speeds up the alloy development, because at the moment it can take like a decade or so. Okay. And uh, of course, microstructure means the um, how uh, what the material looks like at the micrometer le- um, sort of scale, for the benefit of our listeners. So would you say what you're doing is basically making quality to quality checks, if you will, um, a lot quicker and a lot more streamlined, so that someone just needs to, you know, get a, you know, as you mentioned, get a get they've ordered a bit of metal to make something from, but how do you know it's how do you know it's good for it? So you take a quick little micrograph, quick little image, and then put it into your model, and your model will say either. You know, in short, and I'd say, yeah, it's good for what you want to use it for, or it'll say it's not that good for what you want to, what you want to use it for. You're gonna to need to get something else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think it's going to improve the quality control procedure in the sense that the quality control will be better. I think it's already very good as it is. The the, the main thing is the the increase in speed of quality control, and maybe you do get a bit of additional information, but um, it's the automation of it. Yeah, which can speed up, and then it's the further applications, then like the potential knock-on effects of being able to calculate mechanical properties or predict them. Um, which at that point, then it starts to open up new fields rather than just um, just increasing the efficiency of something current. But no doubt that'll be something for uh, for another PhD student. Yeah. Yeah, I think this sort of work it's it's very early days in 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 the in the field really, and uh, it's something that's being being researched in a, a lot of different universities, and I think um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how it how it sort of develops over the next decade or so, and I think there it, there is a lot of scope for for PhDs around this. I think. Well, thank thank you very much for telling me about your project, Mike. So, how would you say you've found? Like we mentioned your, like so we mentioned the, the you know, home life, if you will, or social life of a of being a postgraduate researcher. But how would you say you found the work life? You know, is there anything about it that you, you didn't expect going into your PhD, or that you found either particularly unusual or you know particularly good or bad? Um, I'm not sure really, because I think when when I did the masters, it sort of set me up to enjoy research. Actually, like I think it's something. I hadn't really, I hadn't really known how 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 it works properly. It was more like when when you're at university, like doing your undergraduate, it's very much just like these are the exams, like learn this content and get through the exams. And I think yeah, when I did the masters, I was like, research is great actually. So that sort of led me into wanting to do the PhD. Um, and I, and I, I think yeah, it's sort of just carried through really. Like it has been good. Like researching it is it is quite good. It has it has its times when it's sort of depressing <laughs> when you're getting like stuck in a dead end and you're like you've done all this work and then it's just like not worked out for whatever reason but then you've just got to just move on to the next method and just keep trying and I think yeah it, it's, it's a good work life um, with long periods of time where it's nice and easy going and you're doing your research 
and collecting all your results and then there's like a few months where there's just major stress because all these deadlines have appeared out of nowhere and you've got conferences coming up and but then yeah I, I kind of like that that balance of switching constantly between the two states <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that obviously COVID-19 has made it a bit difficult for those of us that work in labs to actually get anything done how has it affected your work uh, so not massively really I mean I would have liked to have been able to get into the labs and I think because I hadn't come from a materials background at all I had had no training on any of the equipment um, and I think if, if all that had been available this year I'd have probably tried to get in and do some imaging um, but in terms of the actual output of my research I don't think that has been affected drastically like the lab work would have just been a, like a nice additional thing to just gain some experience with really as opposed to directly needed because I can still get the data that I need from either from people that are already trained on the lab equipment who are happy to do work for the students which is going on a lot which is great like everyone's being very helpful and supportive and doing work for work for anyone who can't do it um but yeah so so yeah so no it's not not drastically been impacted i suppose so other than becoming dr wise the uh less known character from breaking bad <laughs> what exactly are you getting to are you hoping to get out of the phd you know what like what sort of skills are you hoping to get and what do you want to do afterwards um i think it gives you it develops your logic and your thinking and it, it, it can make you sit back and take perspective more i think and just i don't know it gives you a slightly different perspective on, on your work and how to approach actually trying to figure things out because um, you're sort of forced into doing this like continually for four years um, but I think in in a lot of jobs as well you you potentially get that cause it, it, but it's the independence of the research I think that, that is appealing about it um, uh, so after the PhD I think I'm still very much undecided um, I think if the right opportunity in industry was to come along I'd be very tempted by that um, but I am really enjoying the research and, and, and I think I will definitely be considering postdoc opportunities especially if after the four years well I mean it's guaranteed like after the four years like it's not going to be completed this project it's going to be like a stepping stone along the way and I think like I don't like leaving things unfinished and I, and I know that I'll, I want to carry it on so I think if, if if the opportunity was there to carry on with a supervisor who, who wanted to carry on with this stuff uh, yeah, maybe I'd be tempted to take it. So you're keeping your options open then, considering, you know, moving out into an industry, but if the opportunity arises, you're not not adverse to staying in academia? Yeah, I mean, I've always just taken life as it comes, really, and just see what presents itself when it does. And I think I like, would still two, two and a half years away from finishing, uh, so it's plenty of time to figure out. And I think, like, networking sort of died off a bit with COVID. Like, you don't get that... At conferences, you don't get that interaction with people, and I think once all that starts up again, then um, yeah, maybe, maybe opportunities start to present themselves. I'm not sure. So you've mentioned a lot about what you're doing, but um, you haven't mentioned much about who's supporting you in terms of uh, industry. 
as pretty much everyone here at the CDT has an industrial sponsor. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yours? Yeah, so I'm working with Rolls-Royce. Um, so that's the, the application I was talking about before for the for the fan blades in the, the jet engine. That's the, the main focus from, from their side. Um, but I think that they're also seeing the further applications down the line. Um, but I think that that will probably come from later projects, perhaps. I'm not sure. So how have you found working with your industrial sponsor? And how does it compare against your academic supervisors? It's been very good. Like, I've got two supervisors over there. And they're both dead sound. And um, we meet maybe once every few months uh, just for a catch-up. But then they, they answer their emails quickly and they're always there if you need to just, just give them a shout. So they've been very supportive. Supporting you more from more from a distance then, as opposed to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's, it affords the same sort of freedoms, really. Like they've got a rough idea of what they want to be able to get out of the project at the end. Um, but, but, but the path that we're going down is still very much open, um, which is kind of nice, but it can be daunting at times. Uh, but they're both very supportive and. I think there was a few opportunities that we were discussing about getting into the various facilities and maybe doing some work experience with them, um, like during the PhD. Um, and ho- hopefully, hopefully, when everything starts moving, those opportunities will still be there. Yeah, so they're giving you more rel- uh, like relevant um, training support for specifically for your project. That's what you're saying. Um, not necessarily training. Um, they provided data that we needed and um, they've also been good with allowing us to use our own data provided that it sort of fits within the same parameters Um, okay yeah trying to think what yeah I don't know so your your industrial supervisors aside on a broader perspective who benefits from your research so like the public um, you know society or environment in general so at the moment it's mainly companies I suppose that would benefit because it would increase the speed of quality control in theory um, but then I guess that also indirectly impacts the consumer as well because I mean maybe not at the moment but a lot of people will, will fly to go on holiday or to, for business trips or whatever reason. Um, and whether you know it or not, like this is impacting the safety of that flight. So I suppose indirectly it is affecting anyone who would fly. Okay, so so yeah, it, it does trickled, trickle down onto the consumer and the economy. Yeah, yeah. Of course, um, I'd imagine with um, less, uh, well, if you if you can do the QA quicker, uh, quality assurance quicker, um, there'll be less sort of wastage in 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 terms of um, the experiments you do. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and especially if it starts to like speed up things like alloy design, like that can be a lot of waste saved and a lot of time saved. Of course. Yeah.
Okay. Um, and before we move on to the closing remarks, there are some questions sent by under uh, undergraduate students from Manchester and Sheffield. One question is, what do you need to make it as a PhD student? What do you need to make it? Just a bit of perseverance, I would say. Don't don't get let down. Don't 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 feel like you've let yourself down when when things aren't going smoothly. Because I mean, it's just a part of it. Uh, you're guaranteed to to feel like that at some point. You you just got to persevere. Yeah, and I would also say um, discipline as well. Yeah, uh, no one's no one's really there to whip you into shape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, yeah, you've got to do it on your own. Likewise, I'd agree. Um, fa failing is not an option for this sort of stuff. It's a it's a requirement. Some things are flat out not going to work, and that's. Well, you're going to have to understand why it doesn't work to, to push forward. Yeah, exactly. And those mistakes can sometimes be much more valuable than the, the, the actual outcome you were hoping to achieve, I suppose. Thank you very much. Uh, another question is, uh, can a PhD student shift research direction if they find the current topic too challenging? Hmm. Maybe... It depends how drastic the change is, I suppose. Like, if it would require like new supervisors and a completely fresh start, maybe it's not so easy to do that. But depending on what stage of the PhD you're up to, I suppose, and who's available and wanting to do, wanting to take on more students, maybe, maybe there's options for that. I don't know. If the circumstance was right. Yes, like you said, um, nothing too drastic. Of course, you can. You can change in uh, subtle ways, or like in the slight directions, um, slight changes to directions you want to go at. May well, I believe mostly because of, um, you know, if it, like Paul said before, something that just doesn't work out, then obviously you need to, you need to go around the problem. Um, would you say would you say that's true, Mike? Um, what if something if something doesn't work out in the research to yeah, then you. If there's no other choice, then you can go around the problem and uh, change direction slightly, but not you know start over essentially. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe even just try and approach the problem in a in a slightly different way. Like now you've got the knowledge of what didn't work about the first approach. Like, is there a way you can come up with a new approach so you're still doing the same problem? You don't necessarily have to start again, but you're starting with a clean slate and the information from the previous mistakes. We have another uh, question. Is it true that many PhD students are exploited by their supervisors? Are you? I don't feel exploited at all, no. But I couldn't comment on anybody else's situation. In what sense? Like... I think like something like writing papers for them and then just not credit which is yeah. a... No, no, I've not had anything like that. But yeah, I suppose it could be an issue in some cases. I don't think of we've ever heard of that happening, at least within our circles. No, no, I've not. Yeah, and we've taken courses uh, to, um, yeah, to say that, that, that that stuff is taken very seriously. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big push for, like, sort of equality um, within the CDT. Like, there's modules sort of dedicated around that, and I think everyone's very open-minded, and, yeah, I think, I, I think... Uh, yeah, that sort of exploitation is quite rare, I would say. 
just to round it out, um, how much time a week do you spend on your PhD project? Do you ever take breaks or are you always working? I try and treat it as I would a normal job. So like I try and start at like nine o'clock and finish at about five o'clock, um, which for 90% of the year works. And then you have times when you need to just stay up a bit later and just get stuff finished because there's a conference coming up or whatever. Um, but I think, yeah, generally speaking, I can sort of just treat it as a nine to five job, which is nice. So to finish off, do you have any closing remarks for uh, say something you want to, you want someone else to have told you before you started or any myths you want to dispel? Um, something that, that I wish I'd been told, um, is about keeping a journal. So I think it was actually you who organized this seminar, Vincent, um, <laughs> with, with Peter Crowther. And he gave a seminar on, on, on how he keeps a journal and, and yeah, how, how he tracks his progress. And I, I found it fascinating and it's something that I haven't done before. And always you end up in a position where you're like, what did I do? And you just, you've no idea, like you think you'll remember it, but like a few years down the line, you've no chance. And I think just keep keeping a journal of just like, just little things, like just to, just to know like why you did certain things. And I think that can be very, very beneficial. And it's still something that I'm not doing very well. And something that I wish that I could, um, or something that I want to work on rather. Um, but I think, yeah, keep a journal. Uh, that's all we have time for today, folks. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Mike. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that has been the AMS CDT podcast. We are grateful for the support of the EPSRC and SFI. You can find out more on our Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and on our website, www.metalliccdt.co.uk. And as always, please share this podcast with your family and friends who may be considering postgrad studies. If you or someone you know has any questions, please send them to us through the link below in the description. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.